Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. First off, on behalf of the city, our hearts go out to all the victims that have been involved in today's tragedy. These incidents usually occur in other cities. Today, the nightmare has hit home here in the city of Pittsburgh. The Tree of Life Synagogue at 5898 Wilkins Avenue. At 9.54 this morning, calls were received at the Allegheny County Emergency Operations Center that an active shooter was inside the building. In late October 2018, hate in America descended upon the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh, leaving 11 persons dead. It is yet another occurrence in the new cycle of hate and bigotry in America that requires confronting. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. The FBI reported over 6,100 incidents of people being targeted because of their race, religion, national origin, sexuality, and even disability that took place in 2016. Of the nearly 4,500 targeted because of race, 50.2% were African American, and of the over 1,500 targeted due to religion, 55% were Jewish, 25% Muslim. On this edition, for the January period recognizing the work and life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we continue exploring this latest cycle of hate in America and why we haven't put such behind us. Sharing their perspectives are the Reverend Dr. Timothy Tyler of Denver's Shorter Community AME Church and Scott Levin, Executive Director of the Anti-Defamation League of the Rocky Mountains. That's part of the experience that I think that we bring in the ADL the Anti-Defamation League in terms of the fact that it was founded based on a lot of anti-Semitism that had taken place in the early part of the 20th century in this country. But they recognized that if they were going to make the world better for themselves, the founders of the ADL said it shouldn't just be about fighting anti-Semitism, but you also have to really be standing up for everybody. And that's yeah. really, I think, still as as difficult as these times are, what we have to keep in mind is that if the world is going to become better for any one of us, it's got to become better for all of Absolutely. us. What about the effect on kids? We hear a lot now about opioids and drug addiction and what parents can do. There's a new movement now of a, uh, of a sample model bedroom that's going around and showing parents where to look up under the mattresses and behind the closets and that kind of thing to try to see if their kid is doing some drugs or hiding them from them. What do we do about youth when it comes to hate? Well, unfortunately, some of those statistics I was talking about, um, again, just looking at the anti-Semitic incidents that are going on, it is very sad that a large number of this is happening in schools where kids are acting out. And, you know, I can't call necessarily a 12-year-old young man an anti-Semite or a racist or anything like that. This is they're, they're not old enough to have formed all of those beliefs, but they're acting out because they feel that they have permission. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that we've had a breakdown of our role models that are out there. If our leaders, whether it's from the dog catcher to the mayor, to the governor, to the president, to whomever, aren't standing up and saying that this is unacceptable, then it does become, as we said earlier, a norm and it becomes acceptable which is why I don't think we can ever say that there are good people on both sides. And we assume that children and young people are are some kind of protected group that they they soak in all of this uh, hate. They see all of it. And sometimes on both sides, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, they're victims 
of what's happening in society. And so we really do have to begin now to have those difficult and hard conversations with our young people, with our children about hate, racism, and uh, what's happening in our society and really engage them about um, what's going on. When anybody that's been a parent, we all know that kids will do what we do before they do what we say. So is there a message to parents to watch what you're doing or watch what you're saying or they're seeing who you are and reflecting you? Absolutely. And it's not just, I mean, we'd like to think that we as parents have that much control over our kids. It's, right. it's a bigger society out there. Yeah, And I wouldn't assume that they're just doing what we're doing and saying what we're saying. Our kids are being affected by so many other things these days. It's not like when we were growing up. They have sometimes our face, our our kids are more parented by Facebook than they are by us. Mm-hmm. So even if we're not quote unquote doing it or saying it, we just need to make sure that our kids are not being uh, affected by the other media there. there there's so much, there are so many other forces that have uh, access to our kids, uh, not just us. And so, uh, and, and I know as parents, we, our kids are better than all the other kids. Our kids are not bad. Our kids don't do that. And so we have to be careful to when we think that just because we have uh, a certain set of values that our kids are also mirroring that. Because sometimes they don't, Adam. Sometimes they yeah. go directly the uh, opposite direction. That's right. And I think part of it is also it's the culture and climate, right? Yeah. And so um, one program that we have, we're in 61 schools throughout Colorado, is our No Place for Hate program, which is really an initiative or, to try and unify the kids around the fact that they need to be more respectful. They need to be standing up for each other as allies, and they need not be relying on such hate that's going on out there. And in the schools where it's working, where they really adopt it and that this becomes part of their culture and climate, um, you know, it's really a great thing. But it takes a lot of consistent work to do that. And one way is is that we also have to look at when kids are being attacked or they're being bullied or yeah. they're being called names. It's not always easy for the target to be able to stand up. What we really need to do is teach the kids to be allies and stand up for each other. And that's not only while they're in their classrooms or in their hallways or the gym at school, but today, as Reverend Tyler talked about, it's all, it's being online. You gotta, you gotta, if you're becoming, these poor kids become the target of bullying and attacks from everybody, they need to be able to count on their friends to stand up for them. Uh, You brought up the online and and Reverend Tyler mentioned media a little while ago as well. One of the members of the alt-right, one of the more adult members said, you know, social media has helped him. A lot. He indicated that when he was in high school, he was making a change from being a more progressive member of society. He was learning this other stuff. And when he wanted to get it out, he'd have to get a a mailing list of people from school. He'd have to write it all down. He'd have to send them stuff. So which is much harder. But now with the Internet, he can do it so much efficiently and he can stay connected with others that are like him. So is is that the first place parents should use could, could look is with their kids internet usage for the and see what they're doing and where they're going maybe maybe I have uh, two millennials yeah. that I raised and uh, as soon as I got on Facebook both of them got off of Facebook <laughs> so I they went to other sources of media that I haven't even discovered yet ever uh, they they stayed two steps ahead of me yeah. so I'm not sure if uh 
chasing your young people around social media always works. I do think that you have to do the best you can to uh, stay uh, to to pay attention to what they're looking at and where they are. But sometimes it's not so easy. No, it's absolutely <laughs> true. I mean, look, I think what you identified, Adam, is exactly right. Hate is cheap right now. You don't have to buy paper and run it in the old uh, uh, yeah. mimeograph machines right, that right. used to smell and uh, you don't have to buy pay for postage you can get that uh, um you know out to people at a very low cost so the real thing that i think we need you know we live in a world where we have the first amendment and thank god we do and that there's free speech but at the same time we look to the social media companies that are out there they have terms of service right. in their agreements of their terms of service they say that there won't be ad hominem or personal attacks that are made against people that certain language won't be used it's up to us then to insist that they actually enforce those rules when they're out there. Well, I, I'm a believer, as um, Reverend King said, in the arc of the moral universe being long and bending towards justice. It's just I'm also a, a realist that it takes a lot of us to really be pushing against it to get it to bend that way. Yeah. We thought for the past decade or so that things were bending in the right direction and that they were looking pretty good. Um, and then that came to a point where it's become much, not, much more difficult. Not so bending. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more work we have to do to a get it to bend. If, if, you, if both of you were a part of the old Southern Christian Leadership Conference and you had to advise Dr. King in this rise of hate, what would you say to him that he needed to do or say? Oh, my goodness. I'm not sure if I'm even worthy to uh, even now speak about what Dr. King should have done. No, no, no you're, that, here, you're advising him. <laughs> <laughs> probably would advise him I, I would have advised him to listen more to others who were also feeling very angry about uh, about the, 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 the lack of speed when it came to change sure um, there was a there was quite a division happening in the nation among black people between the forces of Dr. King and the forces of, of Malcolm X, and I probably would have advised Dr. King to spend a lot of time listening to uh, those angry forces that could not um, quite latch on to a, a, a theory of nonviolence. Scott? Yeah, I think um, I feel even less qualified to say anything, <laughs> but I, I, I guess two thoughts that I have is that progress comes in different forms and at different speeds. Um, I, I think it would be hard for anybody in nineteen six in the mid sixties to see where we are as a country right now and see what wonderful progress that we've made. Yet still, how we are, um, you know, stuck like an anchor yeah. into so many of the problems that we have, um, and that it's it it is a long. It's, it's it's nice to be able to have that nice quote that he did about the uh, moral history, but it's tougher to live it as it's going on and to be part of it. And then the other part that I think of when I think of um, Dr. King, I, I think of the, the great march in the picture of uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, you know, standing, marching with him arm in arm as they're going on. And um, for me, you know, it was that concept of praying with your feet that uh, Heschel talked about and that right now, <clears throat> if I was advising as to say that um, we just need to continue to rally people to get out there and pray with their feet um, I don't know about you guys, but I've been to more 
rallies and protests and things down at Civic Center in Denver, oh my Colorado. Uh, my whole That's office. My second address. That's right. Capitol. That's right. At the Capitol. <laughs> I have signs for um, for for women, for our Muslim neighbors, for our immigrants, for Absolutely. guns. For, they, they line my office right now of what it is. And again, I, I can't say that on any one of those issues we've won yet because we haven't. But yet, I think part of it is the struggle. Part of it's getting out there, being on your feet, and making sure that you've got a voice, and you're, and more important, maybe that you're giving voice to what these issues are. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's Adam. When I think about Dr. King and about what and how how our foreparents fought this battle, I think that what we missed in it was the the message that this is not a um, this is not a, a sprint. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a long, tedious race. And I think that we've seen we've seen the big stuff. We saw the march on Washington with thousands of people. We've 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 seen the big stuff, but we didn't see those little marches and protests where there were like three or four people there. And, yeah. and so I think that that we're just going to have to know that this is not a a quick it's not freedom's not coming quickly. You know, and I look at my mother, who's 81 years old. And she, I, she always reminds me of that. My mother was very active in the civil rights movement. My mother was like uh, my mother when 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 uh, the first black president was elected. You know, she had two bad knees that needed to be replaced, but she 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 walked like an hour's worth of hour, an hour or two hours yeah, walk yeah. from the train station to where she was sitting. In, in the cold, because, and she was energized by this history that she thought she would never see. Sure. And so now she's talking, now she's, she's I hear it in her voice now in the state of the of where our country is today, and, and, and it's a long haul, <laughs> well, <laughs> and I hear that. I, I, we've got to know that. That's so wonderful. I, I think of the fact also, and um, maybe it's my age, that I'm getting to an age that I can do this, but... <laughs> I remember 50 years ago, right? And so I can remember the the 1960s of what it's doing. But what you have to also think of is in the 1960s, think about what life was 50 years before them. And so, you know, the progress to get, you know, probably from from that time in the 1910s to the 1960s, that was really slow progress. (laughs) Um, From the 1960s to now, there has been progress. It's just, it's still far from being perfect. Scott, you also, the ADL, has an event coming up in February. We do. Thank you, Adam. On February the 20th, we're going to be holding our annual Civil Rights Awards. This year, we're really pleased to be able to honor uh, Dennis and Judy Shepard from the Matthew Shepard Foundation, um, our friend Kusar Mohammedbai, who's a uh, Muslim civil rights attorney that's in our community, and we're also honoring Hans Meyer, who is done wonderful, wonderful work in the immigrant Um, community helping refugees and immigrants um, to be able to uh, stay in the United States. So that's going to be on February the 20th, and people can find out about that by going to our website at denver.adl.org. We thank Scott Levin, Executive Director of the Anti-Defamation League of the Rocky Mountains, and the Reverend Dr. Timothy Tyler of the Shorter Community AME Church in Denver for sharing their insights again on this edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.